Hi, you're listening to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Ogden, Utah. My name is John Draskovic. I'm the pastor here. And what you'll hear is the message, the sermon from the week's worship before. And uh, you can always check out the full service that has the music and our prayers and liturgy on our YouTube channel. If you go to YouTube, you can just search First Presbyterian Church Ogden and you can find us there. We've got all our services recorded, including the, the most recent um, live stream of our, of our service. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you find it to be a blessing. Grace and peace, my friends. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, welcome to another episode of our podcast. It's not really an episode. This is our worship. This is uh, the worship from Sunday, uh, July 23rd. And this Sunday, we were looking at uh, the end of John uh, chapter 7. Or, I'm sorry, it's the kind of beginning middle of John chapter 7. And what's going on here is the um, Jesus is up in Galilee. And the, the Feast of Tabernacles, or Festival of Booths, is happening in Jerusalem, which is one of the three major uh, pilgrimage festivals that Jews are, are Jewish men go to every year. And we talked a little bit about that, what the, the Festival of Tabernacles is, and how that ties into some of how Jesus figures or fulfills those themes that are lifted up in, in that festival in particular. And we talked about Jesus' humility and the path of humility. Uh, that is a really un, uh, unpopular path, countercultural path for our world. Uh, but that's the way that he chooses to engage in the world and spread the good news. It's through these humble, not flashy means. And then, and then he is in this kind of conflict with the leaders in Jerusalem, which he finds over and over again. And the next couple chapters in John's Gospel are really about they're asking him, Who are you? you know, where, where do you come from? What are your credentials? What gives you the right to do this, to say this? And Jesus says, look, if you, if you try to follow me, if you trust me, if you want to put your skin in the game and try me, you'll find out that this is the will of God. And he encourages us to walk the walk with him. And that's, that's to me, really the take-home message from this week is we're learning how to walk the walk, to trust Jesus with all the different parts of our life. And so that's going to be your invitation this week, and uh, I hope that hope that you enjoy the the message. Let's gather our hearts together for a moment of prayer. Lord, we come before you as always as your humble people, whom you have called, whom you have spoken to, just like our forebearer, Saul. You've spoken your words into our hearts. You've made us know of the truth of your grace and your mercy. And so, Lord, we seek to live our lives with you at the center. We seek to live our lives, Lord, as your disciples. And so help us now, through these ancient words of your scripture and the words of my mouth, the meditations of each of our hearts to lean more upon you and not our own understanding. For you, Lord, are our rock and you are our redeemer who lives. Amen. Well, we're continuing our journey through the gospel of John. You're going to hear that many times over the next months to come. And today we're delving into John chapter 7. And chapter 7 and 8 
are this long debate between Jesus, it's taking place in Jerusalem, between Jesus and what John kind of generally calls the world. And the world in John has two different meanings. In one sense, it's for God so loved the world, the cosmos. That's the the Greek behind it. Everything. All of it. Whole kit and caboodle. The whole enchilada. That's one definition that God uses for the world. Here, when he's talking about the world, what he's meaning is kind of more in the negative sense about maybe that natural sense of us, of human beings, that broken, that part of us that turns our back to God and wants to do it on our own. You know, like little kids that there's at a certain age when it's like, I want to do it. You know, I want to do it. Me, I want to do it. Don't help me. And, you know, as a parent, you're just like, okay. Because you know the milk's going to get spilled, right? Um, But it's like, I want to do it. And so that's the world that John is talking about here that Jesus is kind of interacting with for these next two chapters. And the overarching question that the world, the one that wants to do it on its own, that wants to make its own decisions, you can almost think like the the world is is like that Adam and Eve story when they say, I want to eat from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. I want to be my own God. The, The question that the world is asking is who is Jesus anyway? Which I would submit is a pretty good question that we should all be asking. So we'll be exploring that over the next couple of weeks. All right, so as we enter into this part of John's gospel, Jesus is still up in Galilee. He had just fed the 5,000 and he had that long, I'm the bread of life discourse. And then a lot of his disciples abandoned him. Remember last week we talked about how Jesus turned to the inner group, the 12. He said, are you too? Are you too going to abandon me? And Peter's response is, Lord, where else are we going to go? You've got the words of life. You're the only one that we're going to hitch our wagon to. Well, um, we find out that Jesus up in Galilee now, it's time for one of the major festivals. It's the fall. And in Judaism at that time, there are three main festivals. There's a spring festival, which is Passover, that celebrates the exodus, right? The God freeing, liberating Israel from slavery in Egypt. And then there's a summer festival, which is Pentecost. This is when they celebrate God's giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And then there's a third festival, which happens in the fall. That's the one that we're, we're hearing about today. It's called the Festival of Tabernacles or Booths. And the reason for that is this one remembers the wandering in the wilderness, right? And so they were living in basically tents. They were tent camping. They didn't have pop-ups then, right? They didn't have RVs. And so they were moving around for 40 years in the wilderness. And the Festival of Tabernacles is exactly that. And if you recall, there was a a temple that was built in Jerusalem. But before that, God lived in a tent. He lived in a tabernacle. And God, they would gather the tabernacle up. They'd pack it up and the Levites would be responsible and they'd move it around to the next place. And there was this big pillar of cloud during the day and a fire at night that would guide them. And then when it would stop, they'd say, okay, this is where we're camping. And so they'd set the tabernacle back up. And so that's what's going on. This festival lasts eight full days because I'll tell you what, the Jews know how to party. Okay? And so it lasts from one Sabbath to the other. And I mean that too, because remember at, at Passover, wine is a really important part of the meal, right? They know how to party. Okay, so Jesus is up in Galilee and he's looking towards the, the festival of booze. Now, and tabernacles and booze, those are just interchangeable. They're synonyms. Now, we know that the big work that Jesus is going to do on the cross, it's got a Passover shape to it. 
he chooses Passover. That's when he's going to go there. That's when the big event is going to happen, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. However, there are interesting connections to the life of Jesus in this fall festival. It'll be the spring when the, the crucifixion happens. So I want to just kind of illustrate some of these connections between this wandering in the wilderness, which we've already seen. Remember, the wandering in the wilderness is when the manna was given. Jesus was just talking about the manna from heaven. He said, yeah, you guys received manna and you died. I'm the real, the true bread from heaven. You eat of me, you'll never die. Well, there are other things, right? So that's one connection there. Um, but there are two others. While they're wandering around in the wilderness, remember, they're, they're so thirsty because we're, wilderness to them means desert. Kind of familiar to us here, right? It's like, just drive west about an hour, and that's the wilderness. And um, they, they're so thirsty. There's no water. And so God delivers them from this thirst by causing water to come out of a rock. Remember that story in Numbers where Moses strikes the rock and water comes out. Well, interestingly, in, in Jewish and rabbinic literature, the rock actually follows them for the next 40 years through the wilderness. And God continues to give them this life-sustaining water. Well, there's also, um, a little later in John chapter 7, we're going to hear about Jesus saying, uh, when those who are gathered at the temple, he tells them, when you trust in me, rivers of living water will come pouring out of your inmost being. Right? So he's connecting the manna to himself. He's connecting the water in the wilderness to himself. And then finally, the cloud, the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night that leads them through the wilderness. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I'm the one who will guide you. I'm the one who will orient you and show you where to go and what the journey looks like. And so in this tabernacles uh, festival, you've got manna, you've got living water, and you've got light. And Jesus is saying, all those are pointing to me. Which is pretty cool, huh? That's pretty neat. And so um, we're let in on some of this exchange that's going on in chapters 7 and 8, right? Jesus doesn't want to go down to this festival in Jerusalem. Because remember, the, the real serious religious people, they're in Judea, in that southern area. He's in like the backwater up in Galilee. They're not, according to the Judeans, they're not real good Jews. Well, the Judeans, they're after his blood. They want Jesus dead. There is hostility, there is ill will, and there is persecution. And so what we're going to hear over the next couple weeks is Jesus' response. Jesus uh, kind of feeding back or, or pushing back up against their reaction to his messianic claims. He is unmasking the world's sin and way of thinking. And so the first way that this happens in the beginning of chapter 7 is Jesus gets it from his own family, his brothers. One of whom we assume is James, who's going to end up being the, the head of the church in Jerusalem. But his brothers are giving him gruff. Okay? They're, they're basically telling him how to do his work. Which everybody loves when your brothers tell you how to do your job, right? Um, so his brothers are basically really success-oriented. They're telling him, what, what are you doing up here in Galilee? You want to make a name for yourself. You want your name in lights. You want to make a big splash. You've got to go down to Jerusalem. The festival of tabernacles is coming. Get down there. And this interaction between Jesus and his brothers just reeks of successism. 
They think that if you want to make a wider, if you want to be a social influencer, that's kind of like our language for what they're talking to him about. You got to go to the Capitol and you got to show the decision makers your stuff. And it makes common sense, but I don't think, at least to Jesus, it doesn't make Christian sense. Right? His brothers are thinking more Hollywood and Broadway. He's thinking more Golgotha. And this story, I think, is almost John's way of lifting up that temptation in the wilderness. Remember, Satan comes to Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and gives him all these temptations. You, I'll give you everything. I'll give you the world. I'll give you fame and fortune and power. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way. I think this is John's version of that same concept. His brother's belief in him is based on the world's praise. I think this is a question we should all really be asking ourselves. Where does our real belief lie? Is it in the world's praise? Are we faithful because Jesus is super popular? Are we willing to be faithful in obscurity? What if your life never becomes successful? What if your faithfulness leads you to a simple life, a quiet life, just you and your family doing the best that you can for them in a small corner of a small piece of this world? Can you still follow Jesus then? Or do you need the lights in Broadway and Hollywood? Well, Uh, I'll let you all sit with that. But I think, um, I don't think that Jesus has a problem with us succeeding or his cause succeeding. But I think his way of doing it is not always our way. Remember, Jesus' way is the way of downward movement. He says the first will be last and the last will be first. His way is humility and lowliness, not in the world's way, which is show business. And so that's a lesson for us, right? Let's be honest. Humility kind of sucks. It's not a value that our world lifts up. But it's our call. It's the way to live a deep, meaningful, God-honoring life. And the world disdains, we know this, the losers. Those who buck its success-oriented ways. And let me, uh, let me remind you, Jesus wasn't much of a winner in his day. All of his friends ended up abandoning him. And the faithful church may not be a winner in our own day either. And we talked about this a little bit last year, but the, the last, that there's like a 30-year a period between the 50s and the 70s, which many of you probably grew up in, grew up in the church in. Uh, And this really unique period in American Christianity was like a golden era when all the churches were filled. That's the era this church was built in. Uh, When was our our cornerstone laid? Like 51, 52? Somewhere around there? Yeah. Uh, That that big building over here, our CE building, was built when our churches were absolutely full. And I wonder sometimes if we were seduced by the world's definition of success— And we don't live in that world anymore, right? The 50s and 60s and 70s are gone. And so we need to redefine for ourselves what is success. Maybe it is faithfulness rather than 
bursting numbers. And one of the values of our congregation, right? We, over the last year, we've talked about our mission and our vision and our values. Well, one of the values of our congregation is that we are part of a covenant community. That means uh, we make promises to each other and we make promises to God. We are in partnership with one another and we're in partnership with God. And we are seeking unity with integrity, living principled spiritual lives in the truth. That's directly from our, one of our value statements. A covenant community that seeks unity with integrity, living principled spiritual lives in the truth. Because let's be honest, there is a temptation to win the whole world and lose our soul in the process. And if we did that, it sure looks successful from the outside, but we'd lose the center on the inside. So now Jesus, he's having this uh, debate with his brothers. They're like, you got to go down. And he goes, no, 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 I'm not going down. Well, he doesn't go down with them. He doesn't do the big splash, but he does eventually go down. He goes about halfway through the, through the week. He goes down to the festival of tabernacles. And he ends up going, not the way they want him to, but secretly, not with big fanfare. And when he's there, there's this buzz in the crowd, and they're all talking about, and they're debating about Jesus. Is he a good man, or is he badly misleading the people? Okay, here's a question that hasn't changed in 2,000 years, huh? Is he good, or is he an imposter? That's a question each one of us has to ask to ourselves. An answer for ourselves. And this question that they were asking in Jerusalem goes way, way back to Moses and Deuteronomy 13, warnings about false prophets who will come and teachers who will arise within Israel performing signs and wonders and lead the people astray. And one of the keys to that leading astray is that these false prophets will lead to foreign gods. And so the people are trying to figure out, is he of God or not. In the next couple weeks, as we go through the rest of chapter 7 and chapter 8, John is going to ask us to make our own decision. Is Jesus who he said he is, or is he an imposter? Well, about halfway into the festival, Jesus goes to the temple and he starts teaching. He just can't help it. So the crowd of faithful religious elites question his credentials while he's down there. Where do you get off? coming to the temple at a festival, and you're doing this. You didn't go to Harvard, Yale, or Stanford. Who do you think you are coming in here showing up like a big shot? Right? Because there was a path. There was an established way that when you were a teacher in Israel, you got to study under a rabbi, maybe two. You spend years honing your interpretation, and then you get your credentials. They put the, you know, the diploma up on the wall, and then you can go. Jesus didn't have any of that. And so these questions about, is Jesus good or is he an imposter? And where does he get his credentials from? Ultimately, they boil down to the same question. Is Jesus from God or is he acting on his own authority? And so he responds to this question. He says, my teaching isn't my own. It's the teaching of the one who sent me. And when he says that, my teaching's not of my own, but it's the one who sent me. He's actually making this reference That unless we're really familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, it's an easy one to miss, but it is a super important messianic prophecy that comes also out of Deuteronomy 18. There's a promise there that God will send one, a prophet like Moses. And God will, there's a direct quote from 
uh, Deuteronomy 18, God will put my words in the mouth of this prophet who shall speak to you everything that I commanded. He'll speak to you everything I've commanded. Did you hear Jesus' words? It's not my teaching. It's the one who sent me. Right? Jesus is saying, I didn't come up with this stuff on my own. I'm not this religious genius. I'm not a self-taught guy. I'm just teaching what God taught me. That's his answer to, am I good? Am I from God? Or am I an imposter? Jesus is saying, I'm just the mouthpiece of the divine revelation. He's saying, I'm the prophet like Moses. And if you knew this one who sent me, you'd know that you are in the presence of the absolutely unique revealer of God. So Jesus, then he goes on to tell them, hey, if you really want to do God's will, if you want your life to line up with the way that God wants you to live, you'll be able to discern the answer to your question, the question being whether Jesus is from God and good, or if he's an imposter and speaking on his own. And so this is kind of Jesus, what we call in the theological world or philosophical world, this is his epistemology. How we know what we know. How do you gain knowledge? That's what epistemology is. So he's saying, how can you know that Jesus is authentic? How how do you know that he can have authority? Well, this is what he says. If you want and try to do the will of God, you'll know. If you try to align your life, your will with God's will, you'll have the confirmation that I am the truth. Basically, he's saying the proof's in the pudding. Taste it. See, live it. And it'll be confirmed. You'll know that this recipe does work. And this does beg the question a little bit, what is the will of God that Jesus teaches? Well, in John's gospel, the main will of God is believing in Jesus. He says, the one who believes, or the one who wishes to do the will of God will believe in me, the one whom God sent. And so the way to know Jesus' truthfulness is to make practical decisions every day in your life to trust him. Belief and trust are the same word. Uh, So that word faith, belief, trust, allegiance, they can all be translated in the same way. How can you, every day in your life, trust Jesus a little bit more? And if you do that, if you walk the path, he's saying, my truth, the authenticity of who I am will be made known to you. So the way to Jesus' truth is actually very practical more than it is theoretical. It's really simple more than it is complex. It's really straightforward more than it is convoluted. And I think Jesus is giving us a truth here that it is far easier to live your way into believing than it is to believe your way into living. Let me say that again. He's inviting us to live our way into believing. Put it into practice. Walk the path. Rather than get it all right up here, and then I can do it out there. Augustine, St. Augustine had a really famous statement along these same lines about the journey of faith with Jesus. Salvatore ambulando. The way is made, or the solution is in walking. The journey of faith and belief is just that. It is a journey of trusting Jesus in practical little decisions in your life. And my bet is that you all have had that experience. Is that when you've put like skin in the game, 
When you put some money down, you say, I'm going to trust Jesus with this part of my life. You came through it with a stronger faith. Because that's the way it works. God invites us into and on this journey. And so are we making the way by walking? Are we humbly living out the sacrificial love of Jesus for the sake of God, but the sake of the world that God loves? If we are, it'd be very clear to everybody around us that we've tasted the pudding and we trust the recipe. We found it satisfying. And it should be clear that when we do this, we're not seeking our own glory, but we're seeking God's. So let me leave you with this challenge for the week. Okay? How is Jesus calling you? How is Jesus inviting you? How is Jesus beckoning you? to live the journey a little bit more, to trust him with a practical, simple, straightforward piece of your life? How is Jesus calling you to humbly live out love? How is he calling you to make the way by walking? I hope you sit with this for the next week and ask God to reveal to you where that is. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you on this day for your ancient words that are alive and living here for us today. For this wisdom, this teaching about who Jesus is and about what it looks like to trust him and believe him. Father, the journey of faith is really scary. Trusting you and your way, even though you tell us it's the way of life, that living water will flow out of us. It's still hard. And there are lots within us that tries to fight against it and convince us not to. Give us courage this week, Lord. Give us courage to find one area of our life to trust you more. To follow your claims and your commands. And that as we do this, we would walk closer with you. For that's what we seek to do, Lord walk with you. We pray it in the name of Jesus, the Savior. Amen. Well, my friends, thanks for spending some time with us here at First Presbyterian Church on our podcast. And uh, thank you for participating in the broader life and ministry of our church. If you would like to support our church and the work that we do here, I'd encourage you to go to our website. You can give financially, make a, a, a gift to the church www.fpcogden.org and if you want to check out the full service from today you can go to our YouTube channel and you can look at the live feed and you can watch the full service and of course if you're in Ogden come here on 10 o'clock on Sunday morning and you join us we're at 880 28th Street we always love to have you um, and visitors come in and if you're interested in being part of the church please come, come visit with us and talk with us we'd love to have you Well, grace and peace to you on the week to come and God's blessings.